All right. Well, we are here in week three of Revival. And uh, here's what we're saying. Revival is not an event. Revival is a person. The revival is not something we go to. Revival is something that we experience personally. Revival is something that happens every time someone meets Jesus, every time we meet Jesus and allow Jesus to raise to life what is dead inside of us, the things that we have allowed to die inside of us, that every time a person encounters Jesus, meets Jesus, sees Jesus for who he really is, we see Jesus and we allow him to raise to life the things that are dead to us, that is revival. And so we're looking at the stories in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus physically raised people from the dead to see some examples because there are some important truths within these stories that help us understand how Jesus meets us and how Jesus encounters us so that we can experience the revival and the life-bringing power that Jesus has for us. And so today is the final story where Jesus physically raised someone else from the dead. Next week, we're going to actually look at the resurrection of Jesus because, hey, if people can have Christmas in July, we can have Easter in August. It is 2020, y'all. The calendar does not matter. And so today, uh, as we talk, I want us to keep one word in mind as we talk throughout the entire morning. And I want you to keep one word in your mind, in, your, in, in the back of your mind, as we look through this entire story, because this is the word that's present throughout this entire story. And it's something that's present in all of our lives. It's the word pain. Can we actually all say that together on the count of three? This isn't like a fun word to say, so you don't need to like shout this in your living room. But on the count of three, can we all just say pain? Ready? One, two, three, pain. Yeah, let me talk about, real quickly about pain because there are some truths about pain that, that help us set the table for what we're going to talk about today. Some pain is physical. Some pain is physical. Some pain is physical. You break your hand, you sprain your ankle, you get in a car accident and you need some physical therapy, you come down with a bad cold, it's physical pain. Some pain goes beyond the physical. You get your heart broken. You lose a job that was your dream job. Your teenager tells you that they hate you. There's some pain that's physical, and there's some pain that goes beyond the physical. Let me tell you the second kind of thing about, about pain. Some pain is momentary. You stepped on a Lego. It's intense pain, but it's for a short period of time. You went on a date, and you like the other person, but they weren't interested in seeing you again. It hurts a little bit, but it's short-term pain. You move on pretty quickly. Other pain is long lasting. You were married and had children and then they left. You were abused as a child. The person who was supposed to love you and care for you hurt you. That pain lingers and it lasts. And here's, here's the third kind of dichotomy when it comes to pain. Some pain is avoidable. If, if you step on a Lego in the dark, it's pretty easy to understand how you could have avoided that. Oh, I, oh, I should have turned the lights on. Oh, I, oh, I should have been paying more attention to where I was going. It, or, or maybe maybe you went on a date with someone that you knew you had no business going on a date with that person. And so when it ends, you're like, oh man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have even gone on a date with that person. It's the avoidable pain. It's the stuff that when you look at it, you go, oh, I was just being an idiot. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't paying attention to where I was going or the decisions I was making. I could have avoided that pain. And then some pain is unavoidable. Some pain, there was no way to see it coming. There was no way to avoid it, except like I mean, except in the case of lung cancer with smoking, cancer seems pretty unpredictable and unavoidable. Your teenager coming to you with shocking news and a shocking announcement is one of those. How could I have seen this coming? 
moments. Now here's what I know. As human beings, we have gotten pretty good at handling the left side of the screen right now. We've gotten pretty good at handling pain when it's physical. We've gotten pretty good at handling pain when it's short term, when it's momentary. And we've gotten pretty good at handling pain when it's avoidable and we could have seen it coming and we chose not to. Interestingly enough, as humans, we've gotten pretty good at handling all of that stuff. But what I know and what you know is that the other types of pain, the right side of the screen, those really cause problems for us. Those cause problems for us. Those keep tripping us up. And here's, here's the truth. The deeper it hurts, the longer it lasts, and the more unavoidable it feels, the more likely we are to lose our focus and maybe even lose our faith. See, you've been there and I've been there where, where the pain cuts deep and it lasts long and it was unavoidable so it feels like there's no one to blame and it messes us up. And it can cause us to lose focus. It can cause us to lose hope. It can even cause us to doubt and question God's power or God's love or God's ability for us. Because if God was really caring, God would have done something about this. Or if God was really powerful, he surely would have done something about this. It can cause us to lose sight of God. And if you've ever experienced that kind of pain that caused you to lose sight of God for a moment of your life or for a stretch of your life or for years in your life, there is good news in the story today because that does not have to be the way that we respond to pain. And so today we're going to look at John chapter 11. It's the story of a man named Lazarus and his sisters and their encounter with Jesus. Here's how it starts in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one that you love is sick. In other words, the message comes to Jesus. Jesus, this isn't just some rando person that you met on the street that you encountered a couple years ago. This is a person, this is a family that you have a relationship with. One of these sisters actually wiped your feet, which is a weird thing to do. But one of these sisters wiped your feet. They got close enough to you to wipe your feet with their hair. Another one of these Sisters, like you, you are close to this family. You're close to this family. And Lazarus is described as the one that you love. This is no passing relationship. This is a deep friendship between Jesus and this family. In verse four, it says this. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, which is a great thing. If, 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 you're, if you're hoping in Jesus and Jesus says this thing will not end in death, this is a great statement. This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. And you're thinking, yes, this means Jesus is going to do a miracle. Jesus is going to go and Jesus is going to use his power to end Lazarus's sickness and to restore his health. And then it says this in verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. Jesus loved so Jesus stayed. Now look, I'm, I'm a pastor and I, I know where this story goes. And spoiler alert, Lazarus dies and then raises from the dead. And I know that there's like a greater purpose to why Jesus allowed things to deteriorate the way he did so that he could ultimately show his full glory and his full power and his full ability. But as a pastor, as a person, as a human being, as a dad, as someone who's experienced family members getting sick and passing away, like everything in me when I hear Jesus loved, so Jesus stayed everything in 
in me gets angry. Everything in me gets frustrated. Everything in me does not like that Jesus did this. Everything in me thinks that if Jesus loved, Jesus should go. If Jesus loved and Jesus knew, then Jesus should get going and Jesus should get using his power to help Lazarus. Everything in me gets frustrated with Jesus at this point of the story. And then I have to remember what we said last week. Jesus did not come to meet my expectations. Jesus didn't come to be the savior and the healer that I think I need or that I think should exist. He came to be the savior and the healer that the world actually needed. So the story picks up then in verse seven, it says this, then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going to go there again. Now the disciples, they're worried about Jesus going back to this area because the last time he was there, things didn't exactly go great. In fact, things went so poorly that people picked up rocks to stone Jesus. I mean, when, thing, when people are throwing rocks at you, things didn't go particularly well. That wasn't a great revival. That wasn't a great set of services. Your message wasn't well received. Maybe you should go back and reevaluate the message. Things didn't go very well. And Jesus now wants to go back. And so here's the question. Who are the disciples ultimately concerned about in this moment? Are they ultimately concerned about Jesus? Maybe a little bit. But who are the disciples really concerned about being in danger in this moment? Themselves. Because here's the thing, when Jesus was getting rocks thrown at him, guess who was standing next to Jesus the last time? The disciples. And they had figured out pretty quickly that crowds aren't necessarily accurate when they start throwing stones, which is still true to this day, but now it happens on social media. Anyway, people are not particularly accurate when they're throwing stones. And so they, they're standing next to Jesus. People are throwing rocks at Jesus, but they're hitting the disciples too. And so they're concerned because Jesus didn't say, hey guys, I'm going to go back to Judea. He said, let's go, as in we're all going, all 13 of us, all 13 of us are going. And so they're thinking, man, like, Jesus, we don't like when you do things in this area because when you say the things that you say, people pick up rocks to throw at you, but they hit us. They hit us. And so, he, so, so here's what happens. He says, he, he said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well which means they didn't understand that Jesus was talking about Lazarus had died and he's about to go raise him from the dead. They thought he, you know, like, okay, well, cool. If he's, if he's getting some sleep, that's probably the rest that he needs. They hadn't figured out what Jesus was talking about. It says this in verse 13, Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And then he says this, I am glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe but now let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. Which you gotta love that Thomas, Thomas gets two references in the entire gospels. He gets, hey, Thomas didn't believe that Jesus raised from the dead until he actually physically put his hand in, in, in Jesus's resurrected hands. And then the other one is a sarcastic response that like, all right, if you're going to die, hey guys, let's go die with him. I mean, let's get this show on the road. Let's get this over with. Apparently Jesus is hell bent on himself dying and he wants to drag us along with him. Let's go. Woo. I mean, that's, that's, that's Thomas. Let's go, let's go die too. So here's, here's, here's the thing. Before we get to the rest of the story, here's a truth that I want to, want to acknowledge here after this first section of the story. Trusting and following Jesus might cause you some pain. In, in the context of our, of our discussion of pain today, this is important to understand, that trusting and following Jesus might actually cause 
you some pain. See, I, I would love it as a, as a pastor if I could stand up and get in front of a camera or get in front of an audience and be like, hey guys, I just want to let you know, like, Follow Jesus because Jesus will handle all the pain of life for you. You will live a pain-free life, a care-free life. Your money will never get tight. Your children will never tell you that they're, they're mad at you. They'll never yell at you. They'll never scream at you. They'll never be fussy at a meal. Life will go perfectly for you. You'll never struggle in school. You'll go on one date in your entire life and you will fall in love with that person and marry them and you'll never have any trouble in your marriage. Like, I would love if that's what I could tell you. But unfortunately, we all know that the reality of life is that Jesus doesn't take away all the pain of life. The reality of life actually seems to be the opposite, especially when you look at this story, that following Jesus actually might cost you something. Following Jesus might, might cause you some pain. When you look at this story, everyone in this, in the, in this story experiences or thinks they're going to experience some pain because they're following Jesus. And actually, Jesus is the cause of some of their momentary pain, some of their lasting pain, some of their more difficult pain, some of the pain that's the pain that's not physical, but it's emotional and it's, and, and it, and it's interior. And then you just go, Jesus actually was the cause of this. When you look at this, the disciples, they experience pain because they're with Jesus. They're following Jesus close enough that when people throw rocks at Jesus, they hit the disciples. That's what happens when you follow Jesus close enough sometimes. For Lazarus, he dies as almost this prop. I mean, he, he died. He dies. Like, he doesn't get a little bit sick. Like, he dies as what seems like a prop in Jesus' ongoing object lesson about his ability to raise people to life. Mary and Martha, who were as close to Jesus and had as good of a friendship as, as anyone could have with Jesus outside of the 12 disciples, like, they experienced the pain of seeing their brother die while they put all of their hope and trust in Jesus, believing that if Jesus would just show up, he could do something about Lazarus' sickness. And so following Jesus, trusting in Jesus, cost every one of these people something. It actually caused them some pain. And this is not to say that following Jesus is not worth it. But it's a good reminder for all of us that if we're truly following Jesus, eventually following Jesus will cost you something. Eventually following Jesus will cost you something. It might be a relationship. It might be a momentary comfort. It might be a financial cost. It might be that you wake up one day and because you're following Jesus closer and closer and closer and closer, you realize that you can no longer work in the industry or in the business that's been cutting corners the way that your business has been cutting corners. And you have a, moment, you have a, a, a thing where your conscience raises up and you can no longer in good conscience work at that company. Following Jesus will eventually cost you something. And every time it costs you something, every time there's a cost, there is pain. Following Jesus will eventually cost you something if you're doing it right. If you're following closely enough, you should know that ahead of time. If you're, try, if you're figuring out if you're going to make a decision to follow Jesus, you should know that following Jesus will eventually cost you something. You should also know that Jesus is still worth following even when there's a cost because the cost is never the end of the story. Let me say that again. You should know that following Jesus is always worth it because even when there's a cost, the cost is not the end of the story. Because it's true that following Jesus will cost you something, but it's also true that not following Jesus will cost you everything. That not following Jesus will cost you everything. See, here's what I know. If, if you experience the cost, if you experience the pain of following Jesus, and you decide to give up and duck out in that moment, that pain becomes really pointless that cost becomes really pointless because you miss out on the rest of the story. You forfeit the rest of the story. You give up everything that was to come after the pain. 
Jesus has this way of bringing beauty out of our pain, has a way of bringing purpose out of our pain, has this way of, of, may, of, of there being a payoff to all the pain and all the cost. Following Jesus will cost you something, but not following Jesus will cost you everything else. The story goes on in verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. And as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. She went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She has absolute confidence in Jesus' ability, but Jesus didn't show for her. Yet even now, yet even now, yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. God, God will still, like, in this moment, in this moment, God will still give you whatever you ask him. This is serious faith. This is faith that means business. This is faith that has been disappointed yet still believes in Jesus' ability. There are no, uh, for, for, for this person, there are no good emotions toward Jesus right now. There are no, like, there is no good feelings. There's only disappointment. There's frustration. There's plenty of anger. There's plenty of sadness. There's plenty of wonder. There's plenty of doubt. There's plenty of questions about why would you not show up when you had the power to do something about this? There are no good emotions. There are only negative feelings. There are no positive feelings pushing her toward Jesus right now, but there is still faith. There is still faith. And after, after I preached this, this, uh, on this passage a little bit in our Easter message, I wrote something down that I didn't include in the Easter message. I, and I didn't know why I wrote it down at that point. But I think I wrote it down because I, was want, because I was meant to talk about it at this point. See, what faith is, faith exists for the moments that feelings don't. In your relationship with God, there will be some moments where you have all the good feelings, where all your prayers are answered and your, all your relationships are wonderful and all your relationships are going well and everything is, is going fine and, you're, and your work is great and your school is great and all your kids are doing wonderfully and all your health is fine. There are moments where it's really easy to feel great towards God because God has blessed you and answered all of your prayers and done wonderful things for you. And then we all know that there are moments where the opposite of all of that is true. None of your prayers are getting answered. All of your relationships seem to be difficult. Everything that at work seems to be harder than it should be. Everything at school seems to be harder than it should be. Nothing is going right and nothing is going well. And in those moments, the feelings are not there, but your faith still can be. There are no feelings, but there is still faith. And these are the moments where our faith is truly tested, whether our faith is real or whether or not we've just followed God because of our feelings. And in this moment, in this moment, we still have the, cho the choice to believe just like this woman did. And in those moments, here's the thing. Faith is the choice that even if God hasn't, it doesn't mean he can't. Faith is the choice that even if God hasn't, it doesn't mean he can't. That just because he hasn't doesn't mean he doesn't have the power to. That just because he hasn't yet doesn't mean he is not going to. Story picks up in verse 23. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, yeah, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus then said to her, I, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who loves and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you, do you, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into this world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. 
As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. And as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same statement. If you had been here, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. See, Martha does something really smart and eventually Mary follows. This is really interesting. You got two sisters, one that runs to Jesus immediately, one that holds back a little bit, one that's still so upset at Jesus that when they hear that Jesus is there, they can't run out to meet Jesus yet. But eventually she goes to Jesus. And when they get to Jesus, they both do something brilliant. They bring all of their emotions to Jesus. They go to Jesus with everything that they're feeling and everything that they have felt. They've got some blame to dish out. They've got some frustrations. They've got some disappointments. They've got some anger. They've got plenty of sadness. They've got questions and they've got doubt. And instead of allowing those things to cause distance between themselves and Jesus, they carry it all to Jesus. They take it all to Jesus. Their example is something that we should follow, to bring every bit emotion, every bit of our emotion to Jesus, to bring every bit of our emotion to Jesus. See, so many of us, we let our emotions cause us to wander and drift away from Jesus. We allow our doubts and our frustrations and our, and our questions and our unmet expectations to cause us to drift and to pull back and to lean back. But what they did was so brilliant that they, that they, instead of drifting and wandering and leaning back and leaning back and leaning back and pulling back, they leaned in. When you wander and when you drift away, all you're left with is questions. But when you bring your emotions and your doubts and your questions to Jesus, you allow Jesus to have an answer and you allow Jesus to be the answer for every bit of frustration, every bit of doubt, every question that you have. And Jesus does not slam them. He doesn't say, hey, 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 I'm Jesus. You don't question me. You don't question me. You don't question the son of God. He allows them to beat on his chest, to cry on his shoulder, to, to lay all of the blame at his feet. And this is, good, this, this, this is good news. For some of you, you were told that you couldn't be a good Christian and feel what you were feeling towards God, that you couldn't doubt God and be a good Christian, that you couldn't be angry towards God and be a good Christian. This is good news for you. Your revival might begin by bringing your emotion to Jesus, not letting it take you away from him. This is your invitation back. If you walked away because someone told you that you couldn't feel what you were feeling and be a good Christian, this is your invitation back. This is your invitation into a relationship with God that's full of emotions, where you can bring it all to Jesus and he will never turn you away because of it. He'll welcome you with open arms to experience everything that life has to offer. Verse 33 says this, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And then Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. It's also one of the most meaningful. See, Jesus feels what we feel. And I'm not going to say a whole lot else about this. I think this statement stands for itself. Jesus is able to meet us where we are because he has been there too. Jesus is able to meet us where we are because he has been there too. Verse 36 tells us this. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't, couldn't the one who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, and this is one of the funniest verses, one of the funniest things that's ever said in the Bible. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench. 
because he's been dead for four days. Now, first of all, the King James Bible actually says this in the best way possible. Here's what it says in the King James Bible. Lord, by this time he stinketh. Lord, by this time he stinketh. And I imagine Jesus was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, I was going to bring your brother back from the dead, but if you think he's going to stink, maybe I won't. Oh, I'm like, or, or like, hey, you know what, you know what, you know what, Martha? Like, look, um, um, you lived with him through adolescence and back when he was middle school, he stinketh then too. Okay. You can deal with, you could deal with it then. You can deal with the smell now. Like, just imagine this, imagine this whole thing happening. Like Jesus starts acting like, okay, all right, you guys have faith in me that I can, that I can still do this. Like you have faith that I, that, that anything I ask for, even now God will do for me. And I want to go open the tomb up and see your brother. And I'm acting like, Hey, I'm the resurrection of the life. Like I kind of gave you a hat tip that I didn't just want to go see him. I'm not worried about smell on a dead person. Like I'm, 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 I'm like talking about raising your brother from the dead. Like this is, this isn't a drill. This is like the real deal. And, 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 and Martha goes, but Lord, there's going to be a smell there's going to be a smell. I mean, like Jesus is so focused and like this person is like, but there's going to be a smell. I, like, have you, have you, th- Jesus, have you thought about how messy this is? And this actually, this unfortunately reveals something that is far too true in far too many Christians that we, that we, that we act like we want Jesus to do what only Jesus can do to save and to heal and to restore. But we don't want to deal with any of the messiness of the people that Jesus wants to save and to heal and restore. This happens in conversations like this. It happens in conversations where people say, well, it's great that they came to church, but have you seen their Instagram stories? Well, you know, it's, it's great that they showed up at church on a Sunday, but do you know what? And do you know who they were with on Friday? It's great that they showed up at church, but do you know that they're a Democrat, right? You, it, and, and when we say things like that, what, we're, what, what people are ultimately saying is like, like it's great that they're making an effort, but this is going to get messy because they're kind of messy. Now, I, I had a coworker um, back in my, in my cell phone sales day uh, after, after college. I had a coworker who had one of these experiences of her own. Um, she'd, she, when she was in high school, she, like, she'd kind of grown up in a family where, where the, fa- the family was messy and life had been kind of messy for her. And for her and her family, church had never even been an option, never been on the table. It just wasn't something that they ever did. And so she had grown up in, the, in, in that kind of world. And, and she had grown up with, really her parents kind of let her do whatever that she wanted to do. Didn't ever talk to her about her language. Didn't ever talk to her about what she was involved with. Didn't ever talk to her about, about how she dressed or anything, anything like that. And so one day, she, well, a friend of hers from high school invited her to go to this youth, youth event at their church. At her, at her church. And she was like, well, I don't know anything about Jesus, but I, but I also don't want to like say no to my friends. So I'll, I'll go to this youth thing at her, at her church. And, 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 and she showed up to the thing at the church the exact same way that she would, would have shown up to anything else in life. She showed up loud. She showed up with some language. She showed up, you know, talking to people and, and saying things that were, were making some people uncomfortable. She showed up dressed probably inappropriately in the way that she described it, probably inappropriately for something that was happening at a church. And she showed up and she was like, hey, this is actually not that bad. There's people here from my high school. There's people here that I recognize. There's friends here. Church isn't, isn't this crazy thing. And now when someone shows up for a youth event like that, you know that there's, if you've been around church world, there's one of two ways this goes generally. Number one 
is that this girl would receive a lot of love and a lot of grace and a lot of patience from people. And over time, like, oh my goodness, because of the love of God's people, I experienced the love of God. And I came to know Jesus because the love, because the people were willing to deal with some messiness from a, from a 16 year old girl. Unfortunately for her, her story went the second way. And when she told me this, there were, there were tears in her eyes in the middle of a, a cell phone kiosk in the mall in Burnsville, Minnesota. And she said, she said, what happened when I showed up is when I showed up, you know, I was hanging out with people and, and I was talking to my friends and it was great. And then as I went to walk in the door, there was this woman, this, this like adult volunteer standing at the door. And when I tried to walk in, she put her hand up into the stop in the, with a stop hand and said, oh my God, you're wild. I can see the devil in your eyes. And that, when she told me that story, I'm mean, like, she was in tears as she told me that story. And pretty quickly, I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm a dude. And I was crying right there with her because I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible that this has happened to you. This is an adult volunteer, someone who signed up to work in youth ministry because they believe that Jesus has the power to help restore and make new teenagers' lives. And when they saw this girl, they said, nope, you're too messy. Now let's be honest, some of you, you have had a you're too messy moment where you looked too rough or you talked too rough or you had been too promiscuous or you told jokes that made people uncomfortable and you were too messy to believe that Jesus could do anything about you. For the people who saw you, they went, I just don't know. They're too messy. And there's some good news here. If you have ever had a you're too messy moment, I want you to hear this loud and clear. That was not Jesus. That was human failure because Jesus moves toward the mess. Always. Jesus was not concerned about the smell of a dead man in a grave. And Jesus is not ultimately concerned with all the stuff that people have pushed away in you. Jesus is not turned away because of that. Jesus actually comes close because of that. Jesus always moves toward the mess, which is good news because as humans, every single one of us has some mess to deal with. Your mess may not be as big as someone else's mess. Your mess may be way bigger than someone else's. It does not matter to Jesus. Jesus always moves towards the mess, which means Jesus will move close to you. Story goes on in verse 40. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that, you may, so that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, hey God, hey dad, um, let's finally pull all this th stuff off. People have been waiting for days and for days and for hours and hours and hours. Let's get the show on the road. People, like I, I, I'm just talking to you right now so that people will know that the power that I'm about to display, it's not all about me. It ultimately came from you. So let's get this show on the road. Then he says in verse 43, after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Quick reminder here, quick reminder here at the end of the story. I mean, this amazing story. Jesus raises a dead man. But it almost seems like that's kind of like, like, duh, that was, that was bound to happen, right? It's Jesus. But there's a quick reminder here. When Jesus raises the dead in you, there might still be someone rapping to do. You are alive, but you may still have some remnants on you from when you were dead. Jesus' life is in you, but you may still have some dead on you and some dead around you. And if you, this, this is why this is important. If you don't take care of the dead on you and around you, you can waste the life that Jesus places in you. 
So let Jesus take off the stuff that needs to be removed from your life. Allow godly people to speak into your life about the things that need to be removed so that you can experience only the good that God has for you through Jesus. So what, what, does, this, what does this story show us about pain and, and especially about, about revival? What does it show us about that? See, we've been saying this for a few weeks that only Jesus has the power to raise the dead to life. And here's kind of a, an additional thing to how he does that. Only Jesus has the power to bring purpose out of pain. Only Jesus has the power to bring purpose out of pain. Only Jesus has the ability to take the painful moments, the painful seasons, the painful months, the painful years of your life. Those things that all form this right side of the screen. The long lasting pain. The pain that's not just physical, but it's emotional. It's mental. It's long-lasting. We carry the scars in our mind. We carry the scars in our body. It, 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 it goes beyond the physical. It, 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 it hurts us and it affects us in different ways. Ha, to take all of that, only Jesus has the power to take that pain and all of the pain that you've felt and all the pain that you're experiencing right in this moment. Only Jesus has the power to turn pain into purpose. Only Jesus has the power to bring purpose out of pain. And so how does he do that? What does it require of us? There's three things I think it requires out of us that we see in this, in this story. Number one, seeing the purpose requires patience. See, we don't know how long Lazarus was sick. We know how long he was dead, at least four days, which is far longer than anyone wanted. And here's what I know. Seeing the purpose come out of your pain will take longer than you want, longer than you're comfortable with. And when it takes longer than you want, you will be tempted to shortcut the process. You'll be tempted to duck out. You'll be tempted to dip out because it's taking too long. And when you're tempted to dip out because it's taking too long, let me just say one thing to you. Stay anyway. You don't see purpose in your time. You see it in God's time. You don't see purpose in your time. You see it in Jesus's time. Seeing the purpose requires patience. Number two, seeing the purpose requires passing it on. See, last week we said something that when God does something for you, it's not only for you. This is actually kind of, kind of the same thing. When God brings you through something, when God walks you through something, when you have experienced some of the pain of life, it's not only so that you can learn something about God through that. It's so that ultimately you can turn around and take that experience and share what you've learned with someone else who will someday walk through something similar. If you've ever experienced heartbreak, you are perfectly positioned to help someone in the future experience heartbreak and know that heartbreak does not last forever. If you've ever experienced job loss, you are perfectly positioned to help someone else walk through the pain and the frustration of being without work. If you've ever experienced a mental health struggle, you are perfectly positioned and perfectly qualified to help someone else deal with depression, to deal with bipolar, to, be, to, to deal with all of the stuff that can, that can exist, to deal with anxiety, all the things that can exist when it comes to our mental health. If you have ever experienced the rough year, first year of marriage, you are perfectly positioned to help someone else who's going through a rough first year of marriage to know that the rough first year of marriage doesn't have to be the entire marriage, doesn't have to be the end of the story. If you've experienced something, you are perfectly positioned to pass along what you've learned about God and what you've seen about God. And sometimes only in passing it on will you experience the purpose and feel like God did something good out of your pain. And the third thing is this, seeing the purpose requires bringing your pain to Jesus. I mean, that's really the whole thing, right? It's like, it's like the whole thing. That if, if Jesus is the only person who can bring purpose out of our pain, why would we go anywhere else, right? 
But here's, here's what you would know. It seems like we should know this. It seems like we should know this. It seems like we should naturally do this. But so often we turn to other places and to other people looking for them to do what only Jesus can do. So let me just say this as lovingly but as clearly as possible. As much as your aunt loves you, your aunt ain't Jesus. As much as your coworkers mean to you and as wise as they seem, your coworkers are not Jesus. So they can't do for you what only Jesus can do for you. As much as your spouse means to you, and as great as they are, your spouse is not Jesus. And so they can never do for you what only Jesus can do for you. Only Jesus can bring purpose from our pain. So let's bring it all to Jesus. All of it. All of the, all of the pain, all the doubt, all the worries, all the frustration, all the sadness, all the questions. Let's bring all of it to Jesus. And watch as he raises the dead to life in you. That's where your revival begins today. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story. Thank you for this example. Thank you for everything that's true in this story that we know is true in life and we know is true about you and how you work in us and how you work around us and how you meet us. God, thank you that you meet us in our pain. Thank you that you can meet us where we are because you have been there too. Thank you that Jesus walked as one of us and felt everything that we feel. God, today I simply pray that we would trust you to bring purpose out of our pain. God, we know life comes with so much pain and you know that life comes with so much pain. God, I, I pray that every single one of us, we would have the wisdom to bring our pain to you because it's only in doing that that we find the purpose that you have for our pain. So God, help us have wisdom to know where this lands today. Help us have the courage to actually live it out and trust you like it's all true. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.